I hope I spend as much time also trying to understand what does this business do? What can it actually pull off? What's going to work for it? And how do we bring those two things together in a way that is mutually beneficial for both sides? I think of design basically at the end of the day as complex problem solving, right? Like if you take, you strip it all the way down to the bare bones, that's what design is. It is complex problem solving, right? Coming up with some sort of solution or new thing um, that fixes for something or that invents something. Hi everyone, welcome to Design Draws, where we interview the most forward-thinking and innovative creators on the planet to inspire and help you to reach your full creative potential. In the episode, I chat with Lindsay Connor Mosby, partner at Profit, an innovation and growth agency, and she's currently based in Austin. In the past, she made many outstanding experiences. For example, she worked as the head of strategic design at Philips and also as a VP of strategy and health at Frog. In the episode, we focus on how to design and develop better healthcare experiences, both digitally, but also physically, looking at the whole customer journey, but also looking into opportunities, how to create innovations when it comes to the power of cross industry learnings. So for example, what can we learn from the hospitality industry What can we learn, for example, from the finance industry in order to create better healthcare experiences? So I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, so I'm here with Lindsay Connor Mosby. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. So you are working as a partner at Profit, uh, focusing on experience innovation, specifically on the healthcare industry, which is going to be the primary focus also on our conversation. We have a lot of experience when it comes to the healthcare industry. So I'm looking forward to to learn about that. We have to think of like a really interesting initial discussion, I think, on uh, some of the similarities and some of the growth opportunities for designers getting engaged in that industry. And specifically now also everything happening in the last two and a half years, of course, has been influencing that tremendously. Um, so yeah, looking forward to that, but I think for the very beginning, I think it would be really great for the audience. If you tell maybe a little bit about your story, how did it all start out for you worked in different countries, in different locations and, um, different industries as well. So I think it's kind of interesting maybe to go a little bit throughout your journey and how are you now focusing on how it all ended up basically now at this moment, focusing specifically on the healthcare industry. Yeah. So, um, let's see. Um, well, I guess first things first, I do not have family in the healthcare industry. Well, I have family in dentistry, but not Mm -hmm. sort of in the, you know, the hardcore medical, no surgeons, no scientists or anything like that in my background. Um, however, I, I will say, um, I always tell people that I'm the, the child of two total hippies. (laughs) And so there was a whole lot of, um, give back in my family. There was a lot of, uh, you know, the more, you know, the more you owe was a saying I always heard from my mom. Um, and my mother was a teacher. My father was in government. Um, and I think I internalized really early on that, you know, if you're gonna spend the better part of your days working really hard at something, um, sure would be great if you can have that something be meaningful and purposeful and that, you know, add something good back into the world. So, I've always sort of had a predisposition to jobs of service, which I think healthcare is very much a, a, an industry where we are trying to be of service to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I got interested in design really early on, I guess, in my graduate career. I have a master's in science from the Georgia Institute of Technology um, in information design and technology. And it was kind of at that time when, um, I'll show my age here, 
the uh, the internet was really coming along and people were like, oh, this is going to be a thing. <laughs> and uh, the degree was, um, you know, a lot of deep learning on communication and how does technology change the way that people connect with each other? How does it change the way people behave? Um, what's it going to mean when instead of sending letters, we are, you know, getting messages in nanoseconds across the planet. Um, and, uh, you know, that that became an absolutely fascinating place for those of us who consider ourselves designers. Obviously, what is it, you know, it, that that's all about behavior. That's all about meaning. That's all about um, exchange. Uh, and so, yeah, it was a fascinating time to sort of come of age in my own career. Um, I guess, you know, a few years after that, it, uh, I, I had the opportunity to to do some work with um, Philips actually very, very early on um, and uh, with their healthcare division. And that's sort of when the worlds of design and strategy collided with healthcare. I guess that was probably in you know, 2002, 2003. And then I've just sort of never looked back. Um, yeah, you point out I've I worked at Stony Machida Partners. I've worked at Sapient. Um, I've been uh, I worked at uh, Philips for a long time. I really cut my teeth at Frog Design. Um, so I was uh, about an eight year tenure there building the um, healthcare practice um, within the design firm. So that's probably where I get my my formative of years. Um, and now really, really lucky and loving being at Profit, where I really have the opportunity to sort of do the same thing. Um, how do we bring, again, design and strategy to an industry that is, um, I would argue, you know, in as much if not more need for that kind of thinking and those kinds of solutions than any other industry out there. If there's ever a, an industry that needs, you know, human-centered design, <laughs> it's definitely healthcare. For sure. Um, if you think back Maybe you have been do now doing so many projects in that context, right? Also healthcare, like you said. Um, but is there was a particular project where you noticed the difference that you can make as a designer being involved in in, in a project or something that just stood out to you? Maybe uh, one of your past projects where you said, like, hey, yeah. we can really create an impact here if we're focusing on a customer experience, uh, do it um, user-centered like USA. Uh, mm -hmm. Some kind of particular project stood out to you that kind of tells that story most strongly for you? I mean, there's a lot. And I think, yeah, you know, <laughs> one of the things that um, that has been the most rewarding for me in my career has been the opportunity to bring what I hope is deeply strategic tools and, and resources to a problem um, or a challenge that that's, you know, being explored, but in a way that is absolutely inclusive of the human beings that you're designing that for, right? So much of my work usually includes um, a, a design research phase at the beginning of it. And by design re research for me, um, I mean, you know, sort of ethnographically based contextual inquiry where you are literally going into people's homes or into a doctor's office or into the surgical theater, into clinics, and you're really you know, you're, you're getting that firsthand understanding of what are these people's lives like? What are they, what are they going through? Um, and I've done that, you know, across provider systems, hospitals, you know, insurers, pharmaceuticals, um, consumer health, all that sort of stuff. But if I had to, if I had to say one, at least 
that's pretty recent. Uh, it's a couple of years ago, but that just mattered a lot to me. Um, I had the opportunity to work with the University of Texas, uh, the Design Institute for Health, which is a relatively new program, also, and the uh, Austin Housing Authority, HACA, uh, and a very large construction organization on redesigning and, and helping them sort of rebuild one of the United States' very first housing projects. So, you know, back in the day when housing projects became a government thing, three of them were started in Austin. Um, and I had the opportunity to be a, a part of a, a program or a part of a team that was um, asked to go and speak with the residents, go and speak with people that live in this project about, you know, they're going to basically tear this whole thing down and build something new. And you have the opportunity to influence and inform what a new health and wellness service, uh, you know, and, and facility might look like here at uh, at Chalmers. Chalmers Court was the name of the is the name of the, mm -hmm. the project. And you know, there's nothing like walking into situations that are very very different from your own to both tell you how blessed and how fortunate you are, but also how incredibly similar we all are as people, no matter <laughs> how much money we have or don't have what color you are, what school you went to, all that sort of stuff. You know, walking into these people's homes and having a chance to sit down and talk, it was just, it was incredibly enlightening. And I felt really, again, honored to have them sit and tell me these very real stories about this is what it's like to be in my shoes. This is what it's like to have to, you know, worry about whether there's food on the table every night, to worry about whether my transportation is going to be, you know, am I going to be able to get my kid to daycare? Am I going to be able to get to that doctor's appointment? How am I going to take off work because my kid is sick when I'm going to get fired because it's a day job and I don't have, you know, the the blessing or I don't have the luxury of a uh, of a salaried position. Um, we make it really hard. We make it really, really hard for people to take good care of themselves um, when they're kind of behind the eight ball. So, you know, the work was to, to do that investigation and then um, make recommendations to the organizations that were doing the, the big build on, you know, here's what people want. You know, you think they want A, B, and C, but we went and asked and what they really want is better access to really good food. They want support and help on knowing how to manage finances. They need, you know, better upfront daycare. Um, to be able to make a difference there, just, you know, that just resonates in a way that is different from some of the other work that I've done, right? And I, I have to, as a consultant, you have to, at the end of the day, sit back and hope, please let them, you know, let these organizations do it right don't just talk about it don't just ask these people what they want um but actually build it so that they have what they need um but it's coming it's happening you know it's it's uh i'm seeing articles about it and stuff so it's really rewarding a hundred percent and maybe for the audience for context you particular you just told me before the recording basically you have been on a um a trip basically with different locations where you have been doing a lot of user research so also in your work you're focusing a lot on the user research part yes. i totally agree right if you have it's a power of bringing in user research to these assumptions that people try to make about like 
major business decisions um, yes. in benefit of the customer they have been never speaking to, right? So, uh, and kind of changing that and, 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 and bringing this um, to the table, I think is critical for people to understand. And as a designer, of course, highly rewarding. And like, I think like the great thing is that you learn. It's like, it's like, yeah. like as a designer, you constantly learn specifically in your environment. Uh, you, you, every day you're picking up new stories and new, uh, insights and um yeah so i think that's that's great and i think for the audience what would be maybe interesting um not so sure if i ever asked this in the in the in the, in the podcast but like because i think it's kind of interesting what you said that you focus on the user research part and then like you're hoping that it's gonna gonna get implemented it's always a struggle for people working really yeah. early on like you do strategic design right and so on and i've been discussing this with other guests in the episode like what can you do to make sure this gets then executed, right? And a couple of yeah. principles about that, but I would love to hear your basic perspective on it. Uh, specifically now in the healthcare industry, uh, you're dealing with high complexity when it comes to different stakeholders. Uh, you have the user, you have maybe the, uh, the different parts and so on. So what, what are your strategies to make sure um, the innovation is not not dying at the drawing board and basically it get executed uh, later yeah. on? Any kind of learnings there? So, okay, there's a couple of things, um, and um, I'll, I'm going to try and remember them all. So, first things first, um, I really try to come to any program that I'm on, anything that I'm doing with a client partner, as both a human, uh, you know, a human-centered design challenge to solve, and a business-centered design channel uh, challenge to solve those two things have to live simultaneously, right? So if you ever want to get yeah. a solution implemented, there has to be exchanged value on both of those sides, right? Like it has to work for the user and it has to work for the business. So in as much as, you know, I'm all about getting into the heads and hearts of the the, the people that we're designing for, I, I hope I spend as much time also trying to understand what does this business do? What can it actually pull off? What's going to work for it? And how do we bring those two things together in a way that is mutually beneficial for, for both sides? I think of design basically at the end of the day as complex problem solving, right? Like if you take, you strip it all the way down to the bare bones, that's what design is. It is complex problem solving, right? Coming up with some sort of solution or new thing um, that fixes for something or that invents something. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of work on, you know, understanding your user, but also understanding the business and bringing that rigor. When you do that, the business feels, and I'll say that sort of, you know, uh, personalize it. The business feels heard, right? They feel like, okay, you're trying to help me design something that I can actually implement from a business standpoint and still be a business, right? Make money, lower costs, whatever their objectives are. So I, you know, I think historically maybe design has had a stereotype of being pie in the sky and that we, you know, we do things, we come up with these great ideas, but none of them are actually business worthy. I think that's changing. Maybe we had that reputation for a reason at one point, but I don't, I don't see good design in that space at all. Now, I think good design is very much in the business of making, you know, creating solutions that work mm -hmm. for, for both sides of the equation. So there's that. Um, in healthcare, I think you know, one of the things that I 
talk a lot about with my clients is they have a tendency to be like, oh, we can't do this. This is too hard. You know, we don't have the this, that, whatever, all the excuses for not being able to do something. And in healthcare, I love to remind them, we are one of the most innovative and, you know, practical magic inducing industries out there. Healthcare is nuts when it comes to, to innovation, right? We take organs out of people's bodies and put them back in, right? We, mm-hmm. we see into the minutia of the cell and create new drugs that cure pandemics most recently, right? Like, well, not cure it, but make it better than it was anyway. Yeah. Um, so don't forget your ethos, right? Don't forget where where healthcare comes from, right? The genesis of that is all about design and complex problems. Just because your administrivia is complicated and your IT systems don't work, that is not a good excuse for not figuring out how to do it, right? Like, so I use a lot of carrot and stick with my, with my clients, right? The carrot being, you've asked us to come in and help you solve something. You're trying to do the right thing. That's great. Um, The stick is do not go ask people what they want and what they need, especially people who are deeply in need or who are hurting, who are sick, who are dying, who are caring for people who are dying. Don't go ask them what they need and then not do anything about it when we come back and tell you, here's what you could do because you think it's hard or because you think it's expensive. We can't do that to people. We just can't do that. That's, That's the most heartbreaking part for me, right? So the more that I can convince a client that, you know, even if you can't do everything, if you do, even if you can't change the whole world, what little thing can we begin to put in place? What pilots can you do? What small incremental change can you make that just helps take some of the burden off that takes some of the, the, the friction out of what, at least in the United States is an incredibly complex and incredibly frustrating system for people. The other thing that I will say that I think is that as designers, we have the opportunity not only to do, but we also need to take credit for or feel good about maybe is even when our clients don't go out and make the perfect product or service at the end of the day, usually by virtue of what we've done, right? The work that we have done with that organization, taking them into the field with us, taking, I love doing that. I I want my clients to come into the research process with me and sit in these people's homes. Mm -hmm. I want them to come to our concepting sessions. I want them to do synthesis with us. I want them to embed in our teams Uh, because again, it makes it more probable that they're going to actually follow through with the thing that we've done. But even if they don't, we have then helped shape the way that organization works and thinks, right? So you got to kind of include... They learn the process, right? They kind of yes, they understand exactly. that as well. Yeah. There's yeah, another way gotta, of doing it. Yeah. Yep. They understand, they, they, you know, and are they designers? No, they didn't, you know, they're not as steeped in it as we are. They didn't go to school for it, but they are learning the tools and they are able to start listening for the hallmarks, right? They know, they, they, they begin to understand and incorporate that into their own ways of working. That's organizational change, right? And that counts. That that does count. Um, it's it's not quite as fun <laughs> as seeing your product hit the shelves, but um, but it it is a very real piece of the work that I think design can do. It's the long haul work that we do, but it is bringing that back into the organizations that we work in, and you know, offering up some of the tools that we know work and that we know you know. Um, affect things differently 
and giving our clients and, and their employees and their partners um, ways to use those tools as well. Yeah, and 100%. I think a couple of points to kind of um, take it forward from here. I think like the one of the things that you have mentioned is super interesting that you try to make this an open process, right? And I think that's also what I learned is that, well, if you work with these internal stakeholders and on other departments, they may not have the time to contribute, go to all of the research sessions. You don't ask them to do that, but like you always keep it open and you basically always say like, yeah, maybe you join for one or two and Just maybe you, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and you, you forward these meetings and kind of make the insights transparent. You don't try to work in a vacuum. So it doesn't look like you're hiding something because I think like one of the problems also sometimes that can happen in a company is that you have an outcome that is not in the preference of maybe some of these people that you work with and you kind of have to tell them about like something they don't like to hear. And um, so you want to make this very open process because that creates trust in you that you're not inventing stuff here. No, this is actually, this is what people are saying, right? Because... That's another problem, like the trust in the results and the urgency of doing something about yes. it, right? And uh, yes. the, the 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 validation that has been happening in that process. Any kind of learnings from you to kind of manifest this even more or make this even more strong that how, like maybe for the user research folks listening, basically, how do you basically mm-hmm. make the your research process in a way that the people are going to believe it more because I saw also yeah. what I see seeing a lot is like, you know, presentations of that have been happening, but then they're missing the concrete actions afterwards or it, right. it doesn't come to the surface so much. Any kind of learnings there that people really get the need and the, having the trust in these learnings and not saying, yeah, yeah, it's just like a few people saying it like, you know, yeah. like it's just a quantitative, right? Right. Um, so how do you do that? No, I think, I mean, I'll, I can use the program that I'm on right now. We're working with an organization um, that's uh, focused on women's health. Um, they're a provider focused on women's health. And I, you know, our team did this very thing. We, we had to, we had 24 two hour long in-home interviews with 24 different women in uh, this particular, you know, part of the United States. And we absolutely invited our our clients in. And one of the core stakeholders, uh, one of the key executives on the client side, she on purpose chose to, she could only do two because she's busy, right? But she chose two interviews that she knew were going to be with people that were, you know, living in really sort of very, very strapped financial um, situations. New perspective, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because she knew she wanted to see something different, right? She wanted to kind of like make sure that it it was something that was going to really resonate. And she told her entire team in one of our workshops, she was like, I would never have, I can't remember exact words, but essentially she was like, you know, I saw things that I've never seen because I'm sitting behind my desk. She said, I get this in a way that I didn't get this before. That right there is a win, right? If you get them out there in the field because they do feel it and see it differently. If you can't do that, make sure when you are doing this work that you are, and of course you have to have, you know, permission, but take pictures of these, of the, these, the people that you're interviewing, you know, take snapshots of their home, get their voice in audio, make sure that you have that media that you can then bring to the presentation for everybody that wasn't there. They need to hear those voices. You know, I have, I've sat in the middle of a Whataburger in Austin, Texas, 
with a gentleman who was talking about his father who has Huntington's disease, which is one of the worst diseases ever. He broke down and cried in a restaurant talking about how difficult this disease is and how it has affected his family. I needed for my clients to hear that. They need to hear him from that person that, no. sobbing. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you got to bring those video clips in. You've got to bring those audio clips in and let them hear it and let them really resonate with it. Then the flip side is you have to work just as hard as a designer on the client side to say, let's talk about what your business is capable of. What can you actually do? Let's get in there and start thinking about what's the business model for this going to be? You know, are you set up to be able to do this? You know, all of pharma wants to be in digital health. Okay, great. You don't have anybody in your business that knows what digital is. <laughs> you guys make drugs for a living, right? So help them understand the organizational impact of their desire to get out there and do something really good. But desire to do something really good and the ability to actually pull it off are two very different things. So as exhausting as it is and, and rewarding as it is to work with the actual humans it, that you're designing for, working with those businesses and making sure that they feel invested in the solution and that they have the tools that they need to do it and that we're there to help them figure those tools out um, or bring them partnerships when they don't have that. That's a huge piece of it. That's an absolutely huge piece of it. And it'll leave you absolutely wiped out at the end, but it's the work that has to get done, right? Like that's the work that has to get done. You can't just come back and say, here's, you know, you ask what people need, here it is, we're out you got to be able to be in there and also to, you know, keep them engaged. A hundred percent. And I think that there's some good takeaways here. Like, you know, I can recommend it for sure. Like what you said, like video elements, like how can you tell the story about it um, and not make it just about the numbers. Right. And, right. Um, and um, yeah, I think this is, this is powerful. Um, another thing, of course, like you said before, it's like, you know, healthcare is, packed with innovation and scientific breakthroughs and like designers can really help to roll this out and mm -hmm. make this more accessible to innovation right and uh, and when I, was, I just was thinking about the um covid test uh, actually one of the most used uh healthcare let's say innovation mm -hmm. if you want to say like in the uh, basically at least like in terms of like how many people are using it from the scale perspective everybody's a, all of a sudden we're is, all diagnosticians <laughs> and at the same time it's if you think about just the covid test itself like how bad it is actually designed like you know if we're looking at the c and the t on top of the thing, like everyone is always Googling. So is it T that is like negative or is it a C? I know. Why uh, does like, it just say yes and no? Exactly. Or why why, exactly. I mean, like when, it's done for, is it done for like hospital people or like for like people that are expert? Is it done, sh should it not be designed for people, for everyday people that have no clue what these letters mean? Correct. Right? Yes. And so I don't need to read something, but I can actually do it. And like, why, why, why is there no like simple step graphic that cannot tell us me that I very simple. an Apple or an Ikea unpacked pack yeah, experience exactly. right like you yeah. just have a little icon of the little person doing the, i don't need all the words i don't need yeah, the words yeah. like it needs to be that simple <laughs> exactly and uh so it's kind of fascinating right like and um uh, but we already talked about that a little bit prior to this recording like what kind of opportunities there are down innovation you have been also learning from other industry other yeah. industries specifically like you're mentioning finance and also the healthcare um the the um the hospitality industry so yeah i think that's sort of two interesting kind of perspectives on the healthcare industry and what are opportunities to innovate maybe you can outline this a little bit your thinking when it comes to that 
Yeah, sure. I, you know, um, yeah, the two you mentioned are ones that I think are, um, you know, ripe for, ripe for the pickings, um, Mm-hmm. as they say in the south it's it's one thing to be really really steeped in healthcare and to, you know i've been doing this for 20 years ish or so um and have been focused on this particular industry that being said you know there's rarely a project that i do where my clients are saying what are other where they're only saying what are other healthcare players doing they want to know how everybody else is doing it right those of us in health, we already know that we're not doing it right right now. <laughs> and then we've got a lot to learn from from outside of our own backyard. And I have, I have felt for a long time that financial services and hospitality in particular just have so many learnings for healthcare. Um, financial services for me is a, you know, probably the easiest one to to talk about because it it like healthcare is a highly regulated industry. You know, it is predicated on privacy and data protections, um, you know, things that are very, very similar to the way healthcare runs, right? Like it's a highly regulated industry. It has, you know, significant privacy um, issues, uh, data regulation, all that sort of stuff. But I find it stunning that, you know, my bank has figured out how to exchange my bank information with every other bank on the planet and can get my money from one corner of the United States to Singapore in, you know, a couple of seconds for $2.50 maybe. But that interoperability, that exchange, and that seamlessness of the way financial data works, why is that not like it in healthcare? There, There's no technological reason that it can't happen. The, The barriers that we have are and not that these are not a big deal. Yes, we have to make sure that people's information is kept private. Yes, we have to make sure that um, accuracy and redundancy of information is clearly incredibly important when you're talking about people's lives, you know, people's well-being. Um, but those are technicalities, right? Like we can do it. We just haven't done it yet. Healthcare has a tendency to and has operated on the premise that um patient data is owned by a Cerner or an Epic or a hospital or whomever. Patients don't really even feel like they own their data, right? Like, I don't know if this is the same in other countries, but, you know, when you go into your doctor here, well, now it's on a tablet, but it used to be that your your manila folder, your file with all of your information would be sitting on the counter waiting, you know, the nurse would have dropped it off and the doctor's going to come in and tell you what's in your file. I remember sitting in that, you know, in those uh, uh, offices or patient rooms and wanting to get up and look at that file and feeling like I wasn't supposed to. It's like, but that's mine. (laughs) That's me. Why am I not? Why do I not feel like I can get up and look at that? So there's a lot to change there, right? Like healthcare thinks they own your data. Financial services think they broker your data. And that is a fundamental Different way of thinking. Yeah. Different way of thinking. Healthcare needs to start thinking about the or or accepting that it brokers data, but it does not own data. And I think when we do that, two really important things happen. One, information that should be getting to all the people in the healthcare system, all your other doctors, you know, everybody should be using the same information and have access to it. 
um, that that's one piece of it, right? So we don't ask people three times. People aren't, you know, carrying big boxes of paper to doctor to doctor to doctor because nobody knows, you know, everything all in one place. Yes, healthcare needs to get to, uh, get to a place where the big companies are understanding that they may broker people's information, but that they don't own people's information. When they do that, um, and if if we can get ourselves to that place, then the interoperability, the seamlessness with which we feel in our banking lives becomes apparent in our healthcare lives, right? Like you're, you're work, everybody's working from the same page. The other thing that I think that it does is if people feel like they own their own data, you, you have a sense of autonomy and a sense of control that is, that, that is right, that you should have, right? Like I shouldn't feel like I'm not allowed to look at my own file. I need to look at my own file because I need to be accountable for my own health. I need to be the, I need to be a participant (laughs) and I need to know that somebody's, you know, knows that I'm supposed to do these things. I love how Uber, there's another sort of industry outside the industry example. I love how Uber is predicated on the notion that you can rate your driver and your driver can rate you. I would love to see us get to that point in healthcare. I would love for us to get to a place where not only can I rate my doctor and say they're a good doctor and he or she is has really great bedside manner and all of that. I think that doctors should also be able to say you're a great patient or you're not, right? Like, and again, there's lots of things that are behind that and people's access and bias. And there's a lot that to unpack in that. But if you can imagine a scenario where a doctor and a patient felt like they were on the same page and that they were in this thing together. That's a very different relationship than now. Um, it's actually part of what is going to make value-based care work in the United States, right? So value-based care is predicated on keeping people well for longer, as opposed to just keeping, you know, fixing you when you're sick. But that means that both parties have to be able to Um, hold each other accountable, right? So a doctor can't be in the position of getting dinged and not getting paid when they've got patients that aren't doing what they've told them to do, right? When they've given them a protocol or a treatment plan and they're not doing it, that's not fair. So I want us to, you know, again, whether it's financial services and, and that fluidity, safe, secure fluidity of data exchange or the way that we actually engage as partners in a business, right. As a, in a healthcare business, um, to, you know, hospitality is the other one. How do we, how do we put much more of a, uh, you know, hospitals need to be trying to attract people to them. There needs to be that competition where a patient, you know, or a person is able to say, I'm going to go over here because it's better over there. Mm -hmm, This is mm -hmm. a better situation. I like this better. My money I know what I'm getting for my money over here, as opposed to you just have to, you know, go wherever you're sent. Um, Moving from a B2B to a B2C model is also, you know, the work of healthcare in in the coming, well, the continued work of healthcare. We've been doing it for a long time and not moving nearly fast enough. I I think it's interesting what you are mentioning that uh, with the experience of the doctor as well. Like if I have to think about innovation of, 
uh, in the hacker space, I would primarily, my first thing would come to my mind is the cust like the customer, meaning like the patient experience, yeah. right? Because yeah. maybe we are more in the shoes of that and we know about how much struggling right. that is. But the um, but you're pointing out something also about the doctor experience being not optimal, of course. And there's like, that is, I don't think like people really focus on that that much, even though right. maybe from a B2B relationship, even from a business perspective, there might be a lot more to maybe and more upside, even even more upside yeah. maybe for the for the businesses investing in there. But uh, and that's interesting. Uh, and the other one that you were mentioning um, is that the, the data transfer, right? Yeah, that's totally yeah. true. I mean, if like I was recently moving, <laughs> so I, I'm having a new doctor now. He the, the mm. doctor doesn't has any of my previous data, <laughs> like right. So it's gone, right? So of course, like I have it, I can basically get it, but it's not as seamless as switching a bank account, right? I can just like yeah, yes, get this, get all my history to someone yeah. else, right? Yeah. The other thing yeah. is that I think it's kind of interesting. With on the same time, there is of course telemedicine growing, right? So basically, oh, we yeah. are more and more connected. Um, I just saw a statistic recently how this during COVID really has been picking up, uh, specifically in the US, where I think in terms of the the way the um, the services are working, more private, more more private companies and maybe in Germany, it's maybe as a comparison, maybe even more difficult There maybe more, even more regulations that make some of these things in terms mm -hmm. of data, even more difficult. Mm -hmm. But uh, this has been really picking up. I think like one of the, one of the problems to solve is going to be also, how do you maintain that, that, that on the one side, you want to have that seamless access and a quick feedback and maybe anonymous um, kind of relationship at the same time, it's still kind of benef still kind of beneficial to know a face that and he knows you best, right? And yeah. and and that that's an, that's a dimension that is it's get lost in the telemedicine can be get lost a little bit in the telemedicine space because it's more about okay I want to have feedback in fifty minutes, thirty minutes, and so on. Yeah. Right? And uh, I think that's kind of interesting that there is this quick but and, and more like data driven approach but then there's also there's still value a lot of value in the personal relationship to um the expert uh, yeah. yeah so I, I you know at profit we've been talking a lot about what are the kind of core things that we see driving innovation in in healthcare in particular um and i think you know things like the 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 continued rise of the connected um and sort of empowered consumer right consumer slash patient. That's a huge thing, right? Like we're all wearing our, well, not all of us, but we're wearing Apple watches. We've got Everyone. smartphones. We have, yeah, we all, you know, there's a lot more at our, at consumers fingertips. I can doctor Google anything, right? Um, the expansion of care, which is what you're talking about here, right? It's not just in hospitals. It's not just in clinics. We're bringing care everywhere to homes, to, you know, on the go, there's mobile, um, mobile units that are going into neighborhoods and actually doing care there, taking care to where it's needed. Um, this shift to value-based care from a fee-for-service, at least in the U.S., um, you know, that's a, that has to happen. We all know it. It's just taking forever because people are still making a whole lot of money on fee-for-service. Um, and then last but not least, and I think something that sort of underpins all of these is that decentralization of data, that democratization of, of data. Those those four things are among others, but in particular, those four, um, I think, are going to have an, a, an outsized impact on the healthcare industry moving forward. And part of what it is predicated on, to your point, is 
technology, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like technology, the fact that we can do telemedicine and that it did get adopted during COVID and that you could see a doctor, you know, um, via video chat um, is huge. The fact that that uh, appointment actually got reimbursed for that doctor on the other side and they were able to count it as an actual visit matters, right? Like the fact that technology is able to do these things and then we are now acknowledging and figuring out how to incorporate it into the business of healthcare is is huge, right? It's absolutely it's it's absolutely fundamental. Um I think yeah, in the United States I think telemedicine went from like a 10% use to something crazy like 45%, right? Um, of people who were like, yeah, I'm totally comfortable using telemedicine for some of these things. Mm-hmm. It's not going to replace a doctor. That's not the yeah, point, yeah. right? It's yeah. not going to replace a nurse. But at least in the U.S., it's some some staggering number, like 50% of doctors would not tell their children to go into their profession. That is not good. Wow. Oh, that's, that's not insane. good because yeah. they're not doing what they thought they were going to be doing, right? Like, Doctors tell story after story after story about like, I only have seven minutes with that person. I don't, you know, I I spend my entire visit with them tapping away on a computer and not looking at their face and not talking to them. Well, okay. So those are fixable things, right? Like how can we make, how can we use technology to let the in-person time that people have matter and be meaningful? Why are we not using an Alexa, (laughs) a HIPAA compliant Alexa in a in a doctor's office so that they're not tapping on a computer it's just recognizing natural language and transcribing that uh you know back into a file will it be perfect no can we get it perfect yes we can we just haven't done it yet right so i do think the doctor and the nurse are as important for designs focus in healthcare as the patient i absolutely do because without them we're screwed Right. It totally makes sense because in the end, like this going to benefit the customer um, or yes. the patient as well, right? I mean, it's it's, it's a 100%. two-sided relationship. Yeah. Yep, um, the other thing I would like to get on is the hospitality industry that you are mentioning, right? So mm. what can the hospitality, what can the healthcare industry learn from the hospitality industry in your mind? So um, <clears throat> I remember doing a, a, a strategy project with um, this, uh, one of my favorite colleagues, uh, Hammonds Stallings, um, who I worked with at uh, Frog uh, ages ago, we were doing this, um, we were doing uh, probably a pharmaceutical program. I don't actually even remember exactly what it was, but he did this great sort of deep dive on NPS scores, uh, which is basically a measure of, you know, uh, I don't know if they use that in other countries necessarily, but NPS is basically a measure of would you buy from this company again. So it's a way for companies to kind of get a feel from their consumers, you know, do they like them or not? Um, And he did this great sort of uh, outline of what are the, what are average NPS scores across industries? So, you know, telecommunications, your phone, insurance companies, travel, automotive, uh, hospitality, financial services, and the stunning difference between the scores of trust and, you know, do you enjoy working with these companies between like healthcare and telecommunications and insurance versus retail, hospitality, travel, all of that was just, it was staggering, right? Like it was like 
healthcare gets a one <laughs> and telecommunication gets a two and hospitality and, and retail get seven, eight, nine. Think about the difference between those two things, right? The fundamental difference between those industry, the, those two industries is one is signing you into a contract. It is forcing you into a contract at the beginning of your relationship. So with insurance, with healthcare, I have to be insured and I have to sign on a dotted line and I have to pay X every month. And I don't really know what I'm getting, right? With my phone, I have to sign up for two years and I'm trapped into that thing with that company, whatever it is. And they dictate the terms of our engagement. Flip to the other side and you're thinking about hospitality or, mm -hmm. or retail. Their whole gig is to draw me in. They are looking to pull me to them as much as they possibly can. So the, the feel is and the behavior that those companies exhibit are completely different, right? Hospitality is all about attracting you, right? They want to win you. So they are they are doing everything they can to take care of you, right? You walk into a hospital, um, uh, you walk into a, a, a hotel okay. lobby, especially the fancy ones. It smells nice. It looks beautiful. You're greeted with, uh, you know, by name. They want they are immediately trying to make sure that you feel like you're being well taken care of. That they know you, you know, you know what to expect when you go into these rooms. Um, we're not doing that. In healthcare, in healthcare, it's sort of like, yeah, well, we've got you, you're ours, so deal with it, deal with us. <laughs> yeah. we, that's we got to be. That's B two B and contract based. We need to be much more focused on B two C and attraction based. There needs to healthcare needs to feel like they are um, working to get me, not that they've, not that I'm stuck with them. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting because it's connected how. How, like how the businesses are set up, like the, the the financial incentives also for hospitals and like doctors and so on, right? So there's been different models. For example, sometimes basically, you know, um, are they paid by the the amount of time people stay? Basically, are they paid per per night, or do they have a financial incentive to get people out again, right? right. So and yeah. and right and, now. And this is all shaping like how the relationship then 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 really works. Um, and yeah. so there's a lot of infrastructure change also that you know can can benefit absolutely uh, or can can make customers benefit there and um yeah so interesting i would love to continue talking to you uh but um i think we need to wrap it up because of time uh, Lindsay. so on behalf of the audience uh just wrapping up this episode i would like to thank you so much for the time and um really sure the, the audience got a lot out of it well thank you so much i've i've really enjoyed it All right, that was the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure you give it a thumbs up and let me know in the comments about your thoughts and biggest learnings from the episode. I'm always super curious about that. You can also tag me in a post about your biggest takeaway and share your insights with others to pass on your learnings. If the episode provided you a lot of value, make sure to follow, subscribe and share it with friends and colleagues so they also have the chance to learn and grow. Until next time, cheers.